Our scripture text has been read. I'll not read it again in Luke chapter 1. We'll begin there in verse 46 in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord to bless his words to our hearts today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we ask for your blessing because we know that these things are spiritually discerned, that only the Holy Spirit of God can open our hearts and minds to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, we, we pray that at this time that we would lay aside all preconceived notions and ideas, that we would come to your word to be instructed. May I, as your preacher, rightly divide the word of God. May I not say anything that you'd not have me say, and certainly that's not of truth, Lord. I, I realize what an important and awesome responsibility this is to proclaim your word. Lord, we long to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we know that your word tells us unless our worship is truthful or according to your word, it is not true worship. And so teach us these things as we examine Mary's prayer here, her her praise to you. Lord, we have so much to praise you for in our own lives. Oh, how manifold are your blessings to us. How Loaded we are with your benefits, as the psalmist says. And even in our weakness, we can rejoice. In our poverty, we can say how rich I am. In our loneliness, what a company we have, the very presence of God, his abiding Holy Spirit. Now, dear Spirit of God, come and be welcomed in this place. Oh, we pray that you would not be grieved by our pride or insolence or regarded sin, or anything that would hinder you to have and give us the full blessing of this hour. Oh, come in, come near us and help us and show us. And Lord, as always, we pray for those outside of Christ who need to be saved. Would you open their minds to the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, we beg in his precious name. Amen. As we consider Mary's expression of worship, we should remember that she's a young girl, perhaps as young as 13. In that day, it was not unusual for girls to be engaged or even married at that young age. And with that in mind, it is with marvel and wonder that we see her spiritual perception, her, her knowledge of the scripture, her recall of theology. She would have been not had her own copy of God's Word. All that she would have known is what she'd heard read at the synagogue and what she'd heard rehearsed by the priest. She would have heard it read publicly and regularly at the synagogue, which was an integral part of her worship. My, what she had retained. We read of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. How important it is to hear the Word of God and to read it publicly. In fact, the Apostle Paul commands that give attendance to reading until I come. It's amazing that a young girl at such a young age, that she was so well-versed in the Scripture. At a time of crisis, you may call this in her own mind a crisis, or uncertainty, humanly speaking, she thought and she acted scripturally. The teachings of the Bible were not just something that she knew in her mind and could rehearse uh, the verses, but they had translated into the way she lived her life. Even at this young age, 
she thought biblically and the, the words of scripture came to mind and, and flowed from her lips readily and quickly. This is a spontaneous worship that she gives here. This is not something that we would think written or planned ahead of time. Her heart was overflowing with these truths. When the news comes unexpectedly, and certainly nothing like this has ever come to us, but there are earth-shaking announcements that come our way or will come your way. There will be things that absolutely will shake the very bedrock of who you are and what you think you believe, what you have been taught. I wonder what will be the first thing to come to mind. Even Eli of old, when the news came to him that God would slay his sons, his response was, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And so we see how God's servants have responded down through the years. And, and Mary has brought, been brought this glorious message from our perspective, but a very puzzling one from her perspective. And this is her response, this young girl her response to the Lord's dealings with her and her body and what he would use with her as the handmaid or the bond slave of the Lord. While she had questions, how can these things be, she asked and wondered about how all these things would come to be, she thought and responded biblically. Oh, may all of our children and young people be that established in the word of God. And not only our young people, may all of our people be so grounded in the doctrines of God's word that when those winds of adversity and difficulty and questions come to our hearts and minds, we are not shaken. We are upon the, the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his word flows from our hearts and from our minds and from our lips, words of praise. God created us to worship him. The answer to the philosopher's questions, why are we here? What is this all about? I will tell you, you were placed on this earth to worship God, your creator. This tendency to worship is innate. It is established within the DNA of every human being. And humans will worship. They may not meet in buildings and they may not sing songs of praise. They may not read scripture and rehearse the hymns that we've sung today, but all people worship. Satan desires this worship. So jealous was he of it in heaven, it caused his fall and his expulsion from heaven. I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. This is the worship that Lucifer so desired the love and submission and the praise and the affection which should be God's alone. When he comes to tempt our Lord as he will, he shows him the kingdoms of the world and offers them to him. I've always smiled at that. Satan offering the Lord what was already his. He says, all these things will I give thee. If thou wilt fall down and worship me, and then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Does the first thing that comes to your mind in answer to opposition, to lies, to untruth, to problems, it is written? Our first thought ought to be, what saith the Lord? What does the scripture say about it? 
Not what does Washington say about it or Fox News or some report or some reporter or some talk show host or some opinion of somebody. What saith the Lord? Our Lord says, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. The writer of Hebrews exhorts believers to come together regularly. And so much the more, he says, as you see the day approaching. I believe we're seeing that day approaching and hastening as the scripture says. But regardless, we are commanded to exhort one another and to come together to encourage one another, to provoke one another. What a strong word that is, that our worship should provoke each other to love and serve and to to honor the Lord with our substance and who we are, with our bodies, what we have. You know your presence here is not just to come occupy that pew. We are to lift our hearts in worship to the Lord. But all the while, your presence is encouraging someone else in their walk with the Lord. See that lady, that widow who has a heavy burden, she made it today. See that one suffering under the doctor's pronouncement they don't have long to live. See that one with so little, that one with such difficult circumstances. Oh, how we encourage one another and exhort one another and provoke one another unto good works by our presence here. And Peter tells us, you as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 46 of our text that Mary said. Now, this is often referred to as a hymn. You see in your superscriptions of the Bibles that have notes that this is called the Magnificat a song of praise, and while it certainly is all right to put songs to Scripture, the Bible does not say that Mary sang it. And while not to to rain on anybody's thoughts of your this portion of Scripture, I don't see Mary here singing, but I do see her praying, and I'm not trying to split hairs. The Scripture says, Mary said, as it speaks of the angels in heaven, they say their words of praise. Now, You say, Brother Lamb, you're belaboring the point here. I want you to notice that first and foremost, our worship is word-based. It is based on the very words of God. And while emotion and all kinds of things may be a part of that recipe of how we feel about it, that is not the crux of our worship. Mary said My soul does magnify the Lord. How sacred this is. We're in the secret place here. Do you not see that where we are? The Bible says, Enter into thy closet, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And while Mary is visiting with Elizabeth and these godly ladies are conferring, this is a time of of worship. And Mary said... If we compare it to Hannah's prayer, we see Hannah's uh, in First uh, Samuel chapter two and verse one. We see many similarities, and I think that that Mary has Hannah's prayer in mind as she is offering this praise to the Lord. Hannah says, "Prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord; mine horn is exalted in the Lord." Do you see the the object of Hannah's praise in the Lord? 
as unto the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Our worship is word-based. And here we have the words, the, the very words, the prayer of Mary as she rejoices in her coming Savior. She calls Him her Savior and her Lord. The opposite of true worship is idolatry. The world is filled with it, and sometimes it comes under the name of Christianity. Throughout the Old Testament, idolatry, false worship, misguided worship, misplaced worship is absolutely condemned. In Exodus chapter 20, God says, I am the Lord thy God. We could stop there and say, period. Nothing needs to be added that silences every objection or every opinion. I am the Lord thy God. We could add, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let us enter into his gates. Why? Because he is our God and he has created us. Let us enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make images before you. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I am a jealous God. Those who deny the one true God will will go into idolatry. It is the only other path. There is the worship of the one true God and there is idolatry. Whether you call it that or not, some may listen to me today and say, I'm an atheist, I believe in nothing. Well, you've just told us who you worship and who your God is. It is your own opinion, your own self. You're so bright, you're so intelligent, you have dismissed God from the universe and from all time and creation. How simple your life must be that you do not no, no longer have to give answer to the creator God of the universe, but you solve no problems whatsoever. He is still God, and let God be true if it makes every man a liar. You will answer to him. I'll give you a verse that you believe half of. It is appointed a man once to die. You have to agree with me on that. You must. No matter what your religious background is, what you believe or don't believe, you believe half a verse of Scripture. It is appointed unto man once to die. But I believe the rest of that verse. It's the most important part. Any fool knows that everybody dies. But the Bible says the enlightened soul knows this. And after this, most important words in all the scripture. And after this, and after this, what? I'll tell you what. Not because I'm so bright. I'm a very simple person. But I've learned to trust in the book I hold and I'm preaching tonight, today. After this, the judgment. How sobering that is. Well, then this is Christmas time. What about the baby in the manger and the, the wreaths and all the festivities it is appointed unto man once to die people die on december 25th just like they do on january the 1st and february the 29th or whatever after this the judgment those who deny the one true god will go into idolatry which is not just some object or some idol but can be power prestige self 
philosophy, some habit, or anything that displaces God and puts that as the object of their affections and their reason for living. We should note that idolatry is not just worshiping false gods. Some exclude it to just that, but worshiping the one true God in an unscriptural way is idolatry. Remember the golden calf? They didn't say this is a golden calf. What did they say that the golden calf was? This is Jehovah. We're worshiping Jehovah. Or Nadab and Abihu's offering up the strange fire, the unprescribed fire. Well, it was the worship of Cain, wasn't it? I like this. I ought to be able, if the priest can do it, I ought to be able to offer fire. He, I'm just as good as he is. Who does he think he is? I'll, I'll do it my way. God showed them what he thought of that kind of worship, didn't he? Self, fleshly, prideful worship. I like it. God ought to like it. Everybody else ought to like it or, or put up or shut up. Well, Nadab and Abihu, they offered the strange fire. The Lord obliterated them. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Let's move up a few years to the age of grace. When the New Testament church, their gift was nothing more than drawing attention to themselves. Oh, look at Ananias and Sapphira. How much they give to the Lord. How regarded they are. How wonderful they must be. And that's exactly what they wanted. The Lord showed them how much he appreciated their their giving that day. Remember Uzzah's irreverence for the Ark of the Covenant. He just glibly reached over there to steady the Ark. God never asked anyone to steady the Ark, did He? Mother Lamb, how particular. The Scripture is particular. The Ark was to be carried on poles on the backs of the Levites. It was never to be put on a cart to start with. Someone may say, well, after it was on the cart, Uzzah was was trying to keep it from falling. The God of the ages can keep the ark from falling off if he wants to, but you better do what he tells you to do in regarding to what represents his person and work. And people have distorted it all around. False doctrine about the personal work of Jesus Christ. They've relegated to some religious deed or act or rite. False worship. Idolatrous. Those who've been redeemed... Those who've been saved by the grace of God are to give Him true, pure, acceptable worship. Philippians 3, verse 3. We worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Jesus told the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, our Lord called the remnant of those who truly believed him, true worshipers. And so if there are true worshipers, there must be by virtue of the fact that Jesus points out true worshipers, there's what? There's false worshipers. There's a false worship. And Jesus said that the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must Worship Him, how? In spirit and in truth. At the heart of worship is praise. Giving God the honor, the place, the glory due Him. Hebrews 13, verse 5, we are to offer continually, without ceasing, a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to His name. And that's exactly what Mary is doing here. It's just flowing from her. Flowing from her lips. Verse 16 of that text says, With such sacrifices, God is well 
pleased. When the scripture points out something to us that God is well pleased, we ought to, to take note that he is well pleased with a continual sacrifice of praise, recognizing who he is and who we are, our need, what he supplies, that, that amazing matchless grace to meet our dire need, the fruit of our lips ascribing to him the honor, the glory due his name. Our Lord gives the two components of genuine worship to that lady at the well. It must be in spirit, it's spiritual from the heart, from the inner man, and it must be based on truth or it is no true worship. The psalmist declared that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The true worshiper comes before God in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, one whose heart has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, a work of the Spirit, showing them that their sinfulness and the way of salvation The Holy Spirit indwells us. He indwells the believer. And the only spiritual worship that is acceptable to God is that which is energized and directed by the Spirit from a redeemed soul. Everything else is just rigmarole. Those who are are unregenerate cannot worship Him, whom they do not truly know, whom they've not had their hearts made alive by a work of grace, a work of the Spirit. Those who have not been saved cannot worship God. It is a vain, empty show. Not only is true worship spiritual or energized, directed by the Spirit, but it is directed specifically by God's words. Here we have Mary's thoughts, and her thoughts are expressed in words, and they're not just someone's opinions. She's reciting doctrine from God's Word, God's thoughts, His words, expressed in adoration and praise. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She got it, didn't she? Though her questions were not all answered, as ours are not completely answered this morning about how all this came to be, she knew this much, that the baby that she was carrying was the Son of God. She accepted that by faith, just as you and I must accept it by faith. God told her. That settled it. She believed it. God's word has spoken that settles it. We we receive it as the very words of God. He hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Isn't that grace? All of us who know him savingly, he has regarded us in our helpless condition, helpless to save ourselves, helpless to bring anything to God that would be pleasing to him. Our very righteousness is as filthy rags, absolutely unacceptable But he has regarded our lowest state. He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy set apart is his name. Oh, her her prayer here is filled with worship. True worship comes from an undivided mind. The Bible is very clear about it. You have a work to do when you come to worship, whether it's in the secret place or whether it's in corporate worship. The devil will send a thousand fiery darts already here this morning if you've been sitting here. The roast in the oven, the the boss tomorrow, the Christmas tree and all the guests coming and mother-in-law, all that kind of stuff. I know what what you're thinking about. 
And if it were not for this, on any given Sunday, a thousand fiery darts to crowd into our hearts and minds, to rob us of this sacred privilege. The Bible says that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And nowhere are we more double-minded than when when it comes to prayer and to true worship. The psalmist said in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart. You see that? Unite my heart. You don't have to unite something that's not divided. The tendency is to have a divided heart. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. True worship comes from a mind filled with and thinking on the truths of God's word. True worship always is accompanied by repentance, confession of sin, because the true worshiper knows that sin keeps us from enjoying the presence of God. It keeps us from reading the Word of God. When sin is regarded in the heart, we have no appetite for God's Word whatsoever. We feed on other things. Someone often, I've heard, seen written in the filings of the Bible, sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. And so we come repenting, oh Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. The Bible says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We know that worship is always paid with the tears of repentance. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Psalm 139 verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's the, the cry of a true worshiper. True worship requires humbly accepting God's will. You see, Mary had come to a point where God's will was revealed to her, and it was a hard thing. We cannot make light of this difficult thing in Mary's life. Joseph's opinion and the public opinion, her own family, and though the Scripture is silent on those things, we know what it must have been like for her to be with child, and and she would literally bear reproach her own reputation for the glory of the Son of God. When we come to Him, we offer ourselves to Him wholly, don't we? Every part of us, body, mind, soul. And we do not get to decide which part of us that God will use to glorify Himself the most. We sing those songs, Take My Life and Let It Be, All to Jesus I Surrender, never ever thinking that He'll demand all of it. And always surprised when he touches the dearest thing to us. Always surprised. Why? Why me, pastor? Why why us? Why my family? I'm sure Mary could have asked that same question. Why me? Does it have to be this way? We see there in verse 38 of of our text, of of the chapter, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid, the bond servant, the bond slave of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Can you say that? Have you said that? Lord, do with me according to your word. Whatever brings you greatest glory in this life, do unto me all that you desire to do according to your word. Hebrews 10, verse 22, summarizes true worship. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
You see, it's based on God's word. Drawing near, we come to the Lord. We, we come to this place, but our hearts are at the very vestibule of heaven. When we open our hearts to pray, we address our heavenly father, we are reminded that the only way we're able to come, the reason the middle wall of partition has been taken down and the, the veil has been torn in two is the person work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we can boldly come, not in our work. We come boldly this morning because of our great Savior and His glorious work on our behalf. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, repenting and confessing sin, and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you see that true worship encompasses every part of our being, our hearts, our minds, our bodies? Mary here is an example to all true believers of what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It is not that all of her questions were answered, It is not that she feels warm and cozy about it. You can relegate it to a beautiful old master painting on a Christmas card. That's as far from what Mary is going through at this point. How can these things be? She asks. She's an example to us. You don't have to have all of your questions answered to believe. In fact, one of our dear ladies from another culture, when she came to faith in Christ, she told me, I had to come to the point where this lady's very a scientist, and she said I had to come to the point where I had to realize that not all of my questions would be answered until I got to heaven. Now that's a, that's that's right thinking, isn't it? You'll have a trillion questions that won't be answered until you get to heaven, and in the light of His glory and grace, they will absolutely disappear. They won't even be questions because the Word made flesh will be in our midst. And all those things will be settled. Mary comes as an example. She comes in faith. Though that they that worship him must worship him, believe that he is, and come to him, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, that God is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. She comes in faith. Notice her humility. She's not putting herself up to, to be an example, even though she is to us. She calls herself a bond slave. Of the Lord. We all are, are that. Those of us who've been redeemed. He's bought us and paid for us by his own work. And we see her submission to God's will. And here she exemplifies pure, simple, true, acceptable worship. After the angel appeared to her with the news that her body would be used to, to bring the Savior, the Son of God, into the world. I want to remind you this morning that there's no salvation. We speak of salvation of the soul, but that soul resides in a body. And we serve the Lord in our bodies and through our bodies as well as through the, the, the heart, through the spirit. You cannot divorce yourself from your body. You do that and you're gone. You're out of here. But until then, you're housed in this frail flesh, this tent, the scripture calls it. And on many of us, the tent is wearing out. The, the threads are getting, they're getting thin. We are seeing the frailty of this life and the fleeting days, this body. But you cannot serve the Lord apart from this body. People often say, Brother Lamb, I'll be there in spirit. You know, I can't be there in presence. And 
I always have things I want to say to that, but I never do. I have a, a, many things I could say. Just, just never, never mind. I'll, I'll go on. But these bodies, a living sacrifice. She is talking to Elizabeth, who herself is expecting miraculously John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Savior, the, the relative of, of Mary. Mary's heart is settled and comforted. Her doubts are erased. Her, her faith is strengthened. All this is a byproduct of worship. Not every question will be answered, but we come to that place of saying, Lord, be it unto me as into your bond slave, whatever you want to do. What did Paul say, but whether by life or by death, but that God would be magnified in this body, in this life? True hymns are based on God's word and upon the truth. And Mary's praise is saturated with scripture. No wonder people would refer to it as a magnificat or, or hymn of praise. And it is beautifully sung. We see here her reverence in verses 46 through 48. And I'll just hasten here. Her reverence, we've already appointed to that. And then her worship, true worship is first internal. We see she says, my soul, my heart, the inner man magnifies the Lord and exalts him. Hypocritical dead worship may have words, but the heart is far away and filled with other things. Amos speaks to God's people in his day, the prophet Amos where God says through Amos, I hate, I despise your feast days. Can you imagine God saying that about the very feast that he had prescribed? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, which, by the way, were mixed with that frankincense, to always make the, the offering smell better before the Lord. I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. Did you know that the Lord called the children of Israel's songs at that time noise? For I will not hear the melody of thy vowels. But let judgment run down as waters. You see, Jesus told we must worship in, in truth. And righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne all the while. The, all the while they did that, God said, You have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Shem, your images the star of your God, which you have made to yourselves. Unthinkable. The children of Israel who were fed miraculously every day, some of them had images to Moloch and stars and little, little things of, that represented false gods. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of of hosts. Do you see how important this is? This is not just preference or just how I feel about it. We see her reverence. We also see that, that true worship is fervent. It is zealous. It is from the heart. She says magnify. That word means to make great, to exalt, to lift up on high, to enlarge, to highly esteem, to glorify. 
I've been to some worship services where the preacher was more glorified than the gospel he preached. And the singer was more glorified. The choir was more glorified than the gospel they were singing. May it never be. Rejoice, she says in verse 4, is another fervent word, an expression of supreme joy. She rejoiced greatly. True worship is continual. It's not just an hour on a certain day of the week. Worship is a way of life. It flows from our very being and, and everything that we do. All ground is holy ground for the child of God. Whether we're cleaning toilets or selling insurance policies or racing chalkboards, whatever it may be that you're called to do, it is worship if you're the Lord's and you're offering it as unto Him no matter what it is. Lord, I'm yours. This is what you've appointed me to do today. And just as I, you can sing a hymn of praise as you do the lowliest task on earth and God is glorified. You can be in a choir of 10,000 and have not the Spirit of God a hundred miles from it going through the ridges, rigmarole. She didn't have to work this up. Mary's not, hadn't been to a praise service where they sung for three hours and got her worked up to a frenzy. This is an overflow from her heart immediately. Our changing circumstances do not change our worship. For our hearts are fixed upon God. Our circumstances, whatever you're going through this morning, has not changed one word of this book, has it? God is still in heaven, on His throne, ordering His sovereign will. And He uses people and events and circumstances to do it, just as He did at the birth of Jesus Christ. He's working that same plan today. David said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. That's where he should be, shouldn't he? Out front, before us. As he led the children of Israel by the cloudy pillar in the, by, by, in the, by day and by night, out in front. I see some believers trying to lead the Lord around. You've got it wrong. I have set the Lord before me always, David said, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Lastly, we see here that true worship is marked by humility of heart and mind. Pride blocks worship. It displaces God. Pride kills worship and redirects it. And for example, a prideful person is it's not a grateful person. They want something else. They deserve or think they should have something than what God has given to them. And because the ungrateful think that God is unfair and that they should have more or something else, how can you worship Him? Pride must be abased. Mary called herself the handmaid, the bond slave of the Lord. The object of her worship, she says in verse 47, is in God my Savior. We see here that we worship God for what He has done for us. What God will do for future generations. And what He has done in the past for His people. He spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. She rehearsed these things that God had done. And we have this left to us. What a pattern for us today. Now, your situation is not like Mary's. But it's just as real. Your questions today may be as perplexing. Your circumstances may be very dire. 
Your questions may be pressing you, but there's a God in heaven who deserves to be praised and made great and magnified in our frail bodies. And that's where he gets his greatest glory. Oh, he can use rocks to cry out if he desires, but he's more likely to pick a regular, ordinary person like you or me and shine forth his glorious grace in a redeemed heart and then take us down a path of his own choosing as he puts us on the potter's wheel and makes of us what he will. The clay does not say, what are you making out of me? This is not what I had planned. The clay is submissive in the potter's hand. And in doing so, a vessel of honor and glory is made for the Lord to show through. He decides how he'll get the greatest glory. Mary, you have no choice on that. She didn't volunteer for the job and fill out an application. This is the sovereignty of God, clear and plain. Mary, you're the one. In some of your lives, it's the same way it is a life of, of sorrow at this point, maybe, or, or grief, or, or change of direction. But one thing is constant. There is a God in heaven. His way is made plain in His Word. And we can bow before Him in humble praise today and say, Thank you, be it unto me according to your Word. Or you could become bitter and reject His work and say, I'll not have it. This is not what I had planned. This is not how I wanted to live my life. What are you doing? Ruin the whole plan of God for us. Let us bow for prayer. Truly, Lord, you deserve our worship. You're worthy of it. You're worthy of all praise. And I fear, Lord, there may be some listening to me today that they have never bowed their heart to your lordship over them. They've never come to you in repentance and faith to be their Savior and Lord. Perhaps you've spoken to them today and by your word have illumined in their hearts and lives the salvation that Jesus Christ came to bring. Your son being born for one purpose, he took in flesh, took on flesh to become a human being, to perfectly keep the word of God, to be the perfect sacrifice in our place for our sin, paying forever the eternal debt that we owed but could never pay, and has ascended making intercession for us just now. Oh, Lord, I pray that that one to whom this gospel was appointed this morning would be saved. May they surrender their will, turn from their sin and their self, and say, I receive you, I bow to you. Oh, save me, make me your child. I surrender to your lordship and to your authority in my life. Oh, Lord, may that one who is apart from you and lost and in their sin come now confessing Christ. And then that one, Lord, who may be yours, they may have a quarrel with you today about what you're doing in their lives. I pray that your spirit would graciously show us all to repent and to, to submit to your glorious and perfect plan. Oh, Lord, bless your gospel in your word today as we close here. We ask in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.